brought to you by Fruitnet Media. This is Fruitbox. Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to Fruitbox, Fruitnet series of conversations about the fresh fruit and vegetable business with me, Chris White. Every week I talk down the line from here in London with people from across the world of fresh produce about some of the biggest issues they face today. I want these 15-minute conversations, which we now broadcast once a week every Thursday, to give you the best insight into how to do better business in fresh fruits and vegetables. Now, today is our first episode of Fruitbox in 2021, and I'd like to take the opportunity this week, and in fact over the next several weeks, to ask uh, questions of where we go next. Here in London, where I live, and and in many towns and cities all over the world, people are starting to get vaccinated against the coronavirus. And there seems, for the first time, an end in sight to this pandemic that we've been living through that's convulsed our lives, all of them, over the last 12 months. So where do we go from here? What are the big trends to look for all over the world? And of course, what impact will they have on our sector from the seed to the shelf? So today, for starters, I'd like to look at some of the big global trends we need to look at as we come out of the pandemic. There's nobody better to talk to about this than someone who spends his time watching and analysing these changes at a global level. And that person is Ben Page, the chief executive of Ipsos Mori, one of the world's biggest market research businesses. Ben, welcome to Fruitbox. Thank you. Now, every year at about this time, you publish your Global Trends Survey. You interview, what is it, 22,000 different people in more than 30 different countries and ask them kind of what's going to happen next. Now, that's interesting in any year. It's especially so this year because we've just ended a year like no other. So tell us, how has the pandemic changed the way we think about the future, if at all? Are our attitudes changing? And are we going to be behaving differently as consumers? What, what does this, this kind of new normal look like? Well, I mean, the pandemic, of course, has massively changed behaviour all over the world. And I think it's, it's now pretty certain, to be honest, that 2021 is going to be disrupted as well. Uh, we aren't going to snap back, sadly, to or happily, depending on your point of view, to how we were before, simply because the vaccine distribution isn't going to be complete. Um, there will still be outbreaks, even when some, some some societies have, you know, have pretty much finished their vaccinations. So I, I think, first of, first of all, a few things. Nobody can predict the future. Uh, and anybody who thinks they can should just look at some of the predictions made about the pandemic um, to, to reassure themselves of that. And Philip Tetlock's books on forecasting, if, if, if you're into that type of thing, are a very good example. However, I think what is clear is that the pandemic, of course, has immediately changed our behaviours. Uh, our values won't change anywhere near as quickly. Uh, the fact that the pandemic may, may now and its impacts may now extend over two years may, may mean that our values start to shift. But to be honest, it takes much more than just you know six months or eight months or even a year to really see people's values changing. But what I would point people listening to this to is that if there was a trend that was already present before, Uh, and has been accelerated by the pandemic, so online retailing, for example, those things, of course, are very likely to to stick. The digital acceleration of the last year in many Western societies where business has moved online, both in terms of how it actually does business and also offices and our daily lives, 
you know, it's unlikely that we will snap back to exactly how we were before because that was a flexible working, remote working, online retail, all of those things were trends that were already there. But the the um, the pandemic has accelerated them. It's a bit like technology and war. World War One and World War Two were massive accelerants of technologies that were already there and indeed developed some new ones. Um, so where, the, where a trend was already there, we can see it developing. So I think you've got but you've got that greater interest in health, which isn't surprising in a global pandemic. And I think the, the big thing for many of the brands that we work with in FMCGs, in the FMCG space is the consumer's need for reassurance, for familiarity, and for security. We've also seen a massive rise in people wanting to buy more national, local, by which I mean from their country market goods, and slightly, you know, and, and certainly a rise in actually pr national pride in many in many markets. So wanting to know a bit more about provenance, it was a trend that was there before it seems to have been accelerated and then finally alongside all of that um, and obviously eating at home more so out of home eating will be under pressure for some time to be quite honest and even after we're freed from government lockdowns the other you know we will still be a lot of people will have had their income squeezed we'll talk about the shape of the recovery so you you can see all of that, those sorts of things going on um, now on on the question of values um um, one of the big value, as it were, issues for people has been this issue of climate change. It really kind of dominated people's lives in the run up to the pandemic, which seems such a long time ago now. Um, but it was the number one issue um, then. Do you think it'll be the number one issue as we come out of the pandemic or will our attitudes to climate change have altered? And, and, and are we even more certain now that something really needs to be done about this issue? Yes. Yeah, so we've seen actually, despite the pandemic, overall global concern about climate change carry on rising, which was interesting. Mm. People in the short term, in the here and now, people, of course, are worried about putting food on the table and paying their, their rent. But and if you ask them to choose between their ability to pay their rent and dealing with climate change, they'll often say, well, the economy has to come first. People will be often many Western societies split down the middle. But overall, globally, the number one concern is climate change. And I think one thing to me the pandemic shows is that when we finally decide to do something, e.g. lockdown and create a vaccine in a few months that would normally take five years, it's amazing how we've turned out to be able to do it and to run our, you know, millions of businesses all over the world have discovered that they didn't need an office, or at least on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think that, that, that the fact that humanity has shown itself that it can do amazing things, plus the ongoing heat waves, fires, flooding and everything else that we're starting to see means we know that the public buy it. The challenges to the to governments of the world and the politicians of the world who are having to, to, to manage all this is that the public is still looking to them for leadership. We do have COP26 this year when the, the countries of the world will get together in Glasgow in the UK to discuss new targets. But I think the Biden um, presidency where he's just re-signed the Paris Climate Treaty uh, means that hopefully we will start to see more movement. But consumers are ready to be led and they expect business to do something. Now, there are economists at the same time who are saying, I mean, with all this, this the issue, issue about climate change is there, but they're also saying that when we come out of this pandemic, we're going to be heading into a period of conspicuous consumption, that the decade ahead is going to replicate the roaring 20s that our great grandparents lived through 100 years ago. Now, we all know that that decade didn't end too happily. What's your take of, uh, of, of this opinion? Yeah. 
Well, I think, I mean, once we get into sort of what's the economy going to be like in five years' time, you know, we may as well sort of go out and wander down the street and ask somebody. I mean, the answer is probably nobody knows. Mm. But one thing that I find particularly convincing at the moment is the idea of a K-shaped recovery. And that is where people who have kept their jobs and stayed at home and actually saved a lot of money during the recession and owners of stocks and shares and assets, which are all going up in value Mm. as governments pursue quantitative easing and effectively printing money. That group of people in in Western societies are all fine. They all bounce back. The the trouble is the people who were were already precarious before the pandemic um, uh, and uh, are even more precarious afterwards. So you get this growing inequality, which we've already seen during lockdowns across America, across, across Europe, etc. And actually, that means that the, all, the, all the things that drove populism in the last decade come roaring back. And you're, you're, so you have both conspicuous consumption and, and the sort of, you know, maybe not people traveling in 2021 in, in a massive way, but in 2022, it all comes roaring back for the people who've got money. But there's, there's a sub- substantial group of people in many societies who don't. And you have massive upheaval. We've already got it in LATAM. And you've got all the if, if Western societies don't sort this out and the forces of, um, you know, of the global economy moving to, the, to Asia, moving to the south of the world continue, then you get even more political upheaval later on. And it took the other reason to be wary of this, I think, and, and of predictions in either way is it took it took several years after the crash of 2008 for the populist movements um, in Europe and in America to really get going mm-hmm. as a result. And, but many of the reasons driving those were, were driven by the recession or, and, the imp- and the consequences of that recession. So we just don't know yet. We're in that we're too close to the trees at the moment to see the forest. But I think a, you know, a K-shaped recovery is something to watch out for. And that recession also uh, kind of atomized the market into two different areas. It was the, it was the upper market and the, and the lower market, if you will, and the middle market was eroded. And it, by, by the sounds of it, that middle market is going to be even more eroded in future. The missing middle, as we call it. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, and in, in retailing, it's the, you know, you can see it in British high streets where I'm, you know, where we are now, mm. but all of those mid market retailers have gone, but actually the, um, you know, the Kering and Gucci and these sorts of retailers, they're doing all right, particularly in China. And then of course, Aldi and Little do all right. Mm. But yes, the, the other, the mid market is, is likely to continue suffering. Yeah. Now, now you mentioned this, uh, this issue, the trend towards localism. Um, and I imagine that the pandemic has only reinforced this still further. It's been a, a huge trend in our sector, in the fresh fruit and vegetable sector in recent years. Does your survey, uh, the findings of your survey, suggest that it's going to continue? Uh, does that mean that globalism really is dead and buried? No. So people haven't turned off against globalism. And actually, the number of people saying globally, uh, who say that globalization is good for my country, is actually, if anything, still rising very gently. The Chinese are are absolutely bought into it. What is interesting, though, when you ask, when you say that products, global products or products from global brands are better than local brands, in China, that's massively gone into reverse, uh, perhaps because of the trade war with America. But it's very, very noticeable how that's changed during 2020. It used to be at one point we found that about 67% of people in China telling us they didn't want to eat Chinese manufactured products mm. because they were concerned about contamination and, food and, safety and quality, and so etc. Yeah. 
but i think what we are seeing is this this trend of um with the with you know of discerning consumption wanting to know about provenance it ties in with the interest in plant-based foods generally which must be good for fruit and vegetable growers uh, somewhere we you know with what with mcdonald's kfc you name it now producing plant-based alternatives to meat we're certainly going to see that keep going i think that and, and coupled with a pandemic which has increased interest in diet and etc i think we're just going to all see all of that carrying on but it is combined with this in interest in really knowing about where something comes from now that could be that you want to know in your own country about the farmer that produced it and i think it becomes harder to you know here i am in britain do i really want to know about mr wang in this particular province and who he makes his you know how he grows his tea or something i suppose i might do but i'm even more interested if it's somebody i can identify with more and perhaps perhaps slightly closer to home um you, you talked about the issue of travel and uh in in again in the fruit and vegetable sector a lot of the growth in certain categories of interest in new products has been driven a lot by people actually traveling to countries and tasting these for the first time and saying that they want them you know they want to get them they want to have them here by the home locally. yeah um now you and me and almost everyone else on the planet has been locked up at home for much of the last 12 months we've been here staring at our four walls and some say that once we've been vaccinated we're all going to want to travel more to go see the world again it's not as simple as that is it no. Well, I think consumer travel will eventually rebound and people will want to, to travel. Um, but at the same time, of course, you've got the flight shaming phenomenon that started in Scandinavia and spreading around the world. So we may not fly quite as much. We might use trains. But I think business travel is, a, is another question because companies have noticed that they can massively cut their business travel. And strangely, business seems to be often quite good. I used to fly to Riyadh in Saudi Arabia for a two hour meeting. I've done it three times. I'm not flying to Riyadh again, <laughs> certainly not for a two hour meeting and probably not for anything, quite frankly. And so I can see that companies will want to hold down business travel. They've discovered that Zoom works pretty well, you know, but people will still want to see each other. So meetings and conferences will need to be special and people will still, you know, we'll, we'll want to go and see people. We will want to see colleagues and go to conferences, but I imagine they'll become a bit more special, a bit rarer. We'll discover that we can do quite a lot um, over, over the internet and on Zoom. But I think the consumer markets those will eventually rebound i think 2021 is going to be quite mixed because the recovery from the pandemic will be um you know, difficult and you've got many airlines talking about 2024 for it to be when we finally get back to 2019 levels of activity because you've got the headwinds of climate change uh the headwinds of companies trying to reduce their spend and i can see both of those pushing you know pushing against uh, against it. At the same time, consumers, they will want to travel. We've got the number of people who want to leave and live in a new country is higher than ever um, this year. Amazing. Fascinating stuff, Ben. That's all we've got time for today on Fruitbox. I was joined down the line by Ben Page, the chief executive of Ipsos Mori, one of the world's biggest market research businesses. Ben, thank you so much for coming on Fruitbox. My pleasure. And if you want anybody wants any more on any of that, go to www.ipsosmori.com or alternately, ipsosglobaltrends.com. Thank you, Ben. Um, you can find today's conversation with Ben and the many others I'm having here at Fruitbox on our website, fruitnet.com. You'll forgive me if we talk uh, some more about uh, these uh, big trends over the next few weeks. I'm hoping to talk with uh, some big people in food retail, and uh, I'm very keen to hear what they have to say about the future uh, of our food shopping. So stay tuned for future episodes of Fruitbox. Do make it your regular listen in 2021. That was Fruitbox and this is Chris White. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.
To sponsor a future episode, please email advertising at fruitnet.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Fruitnet Live. And don't forget you can keep up to date with all the latest fresh produce industry news at fruitnet.com.